of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O Holy Spirit, we cannot by our own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ our Lord or come to Him. Call us to faith in Jesus by the Gospel. Enlighten us every day with your gifts of baptism, absolution, and the Lord's Supper and sanctify and keep us and the whole Christian church on earth with Jesus Christ in the one true faith. Forgive us our sins every day and give us the blessed hope of the resurrection to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord who lives and reigns with you and the Father, one God, now and forever. All right, our congregation at prayer this week takes us into the second week of the third article of the Creed, the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And our verse is from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3. It is a fitting verse as we continue our retreat for the family, life, and marriage uh, Bible study especially today as we talk about how the body is spiritual. Let's speak this verse together. No one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So this speaking, this saying is the speaking and the saying of the confession of faith. So, you could have an unbeliever say just about anything if you ask them to quote something. 
So we're not talking simply about uttering words. When the Apostle Paul says, no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, is that no one motivated by, motivated by the Spirit, governed by the Spirit, brought to faith in Christ by the Spirit, is going to curse Jesus. If they do, it certainly doesn't come from the Spirit of God. Conversely, no one can say or confess out of the faith of the heart, Jesus is Lord, except by the power of the Holy Spirit through the word of the gospel. So if there's faith, it is due to the Holy Spirit's work. Anything else other than that comes from the evil one. So no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. We're not just talking words. We're talking about the confession of faith. Okay? So when you have the Spirit of God, you're talking about the Holy Spirit. So I'll put those phrases out. Same, you know, no one speaking by the Holy Spirit, no one speaking by the Spirit of God. You can call Jesus Lord except by the Spirit of God or except by the Holy Spirit. Same thing. So the Holy Spirit who comes from God the Father is the one who leads us in this confession, Jesus is Lord, who creates such faith. So notice how this verse corresponds with the small catechism for the week, last week and this week. I cannot, by my own reason or strength, believe in Jesus Christ my Lord or come to him but the Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel. That's the call to faith, the call to repentance and faith by the gospel. Okay? One final thing here, Jesus is Lord, is more than simply the confession, Jesus is my Lord, or he is my Savior, although it includes that. But rather, it is the fundamental confession that Jesus is God. Specifically, that God who revealed himself to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to Moses at the burning book, bush, the great I am, the eternal God of the promise of salvation. So we, when we confess Jesus is Lord, which is the fundamental confession of the New Testament upon which both the apostles and Nicene creeds rest, it's the idea that Jesus the man Christ Jesus is God, the Lord, and there ain't no other. So the Shema Israel, which was the confession of Israel, the Lord our God, he alone is God, and there ain't nobody else. That's what the Christian is confessing about Jesus. Not that he's one God among many gods, but that he is the only God, and he is the only Savior. Okay, let's speak it again. No one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus a curse, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. All right, and then in our catechism notes for the week, I've included two excerpts from Dr. Carl Fabrizius' meditations on the Bible stories for daily prayer this week, Deborah, the prophetess, judges Israel, and then the angel of the Lord appears to Gideon. They are the Tuesday reading and the Wednesday reading for the week. 
So if anyone is interested in obtaining a copy of Bible Stories for Daily Prayer, it's available through the CCA. You can talk to Susan Gelbach. She'd be happy to set you up with a copy. Okay? Uh, all right. Any questions about Congregation at Prayer for the Week? I have handed out the new uh, study lesson. I intend to make use of the Bible. It's my expectation that you will have your Bible with you or you'll pick up the Bible on the way in. It's preferred to have your own Bible. Then you can take notes in the margin and uh, that sort of thing. Uh, for this series of studies that we're going to do, I am paying attention to Dr. John Kleinig's book, Wonder Fully Made. You know, I will praise him for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, but wonder fully made. Uh, a, it's called A Protestant Theology of the Bible. I don't like the subtitle, uh, although it is a theology of the Bible, uh, of the body, but I just don't like this idea of Protestant because it's in line with the theology of the church Catholic, the church universal, as opposed to something new. I would say this is kind of a counterpart to um, the Pope John Paul II Institute on the Body, which actually has done much wonderful work and extolling the idea that marriage is between one man and, a one, and one woman, something that the current uh, pontiff in Rome seems to be having difficulty with. So I know a lot of Christians are scandalized by Pope Francis uh, backtracking on the historic Judeo-Christian view concerning marriage as if this is the greatest offense, and it is a great offense. But remember, the pontiff Leo X excommunicated Martin Luther explicitly, according to the papal bull, for teaching that salvation was by grace alone through faith in Christ alone and not by the works of the law. That is even a greater scandal. So don't our position as Lutheran confessional Christians is not based on whether or not the current incumbent at the Sea of Rome agrees with us. It's rather, uh, well, anyway, he ought to agree with our position. Okay. But if he doesn't, well, it's not news, actually, because it's been going on for some time. All right. The body is spiritual. What does it mean? For us as Christians, anything that is designated as spiritual, so it's fitting for this week, has to do with who? The Holy, the Holy Spirit. Let me repeat that again. Anything that has to do with being spiritual, then of necessity, has to do with the Holy Spirit. So if you look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, and you can anticipate uh, some of the verses as we go because they're in parentheses under the 10 theses that I have before you. 
you have a replay of the creation of man, male and female, in the image and likeness of God, with the details that in the order of creation, Adam was created first from the dust of the ground and Eve from his side. So chapter 2, verse 7, the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. There is the reference to the Holy Spirit, and man became a living being or a living soul. So the first thesis is the biblical concept of spiritual means that a person is animated, governed, and given life by the Holy Spirit through the Word. Susan? Speak up, I can't hear you. If the Spirit created all life, what's not spiritual? Okay, it, can, you, can you kind of wait for things to unfold a little bit? <laughs> uh, and, remem and I ask that remembering that patience is one of the fruits of the Spirit. <laughs> but since she brings up that point, there simply is no life that exists that is not of the Spirit. We confess it in the Nicene Creed, which is in Thesis 2, that the Holy Spirit is the Lord and giver of life. So let's anticipate then what it is to be profane, or, if you want, quote-unquote, not spiritual. It is to take the life given by the Spirit through the Word and take that life in a direction or in a path that is contrary to the Spirit. Okay? So the profane life or the unholy life as opposed to the spiritual life or the sanctified life the profane life or the unholy life is the life that departs from the leading of the Spirit through the Word. So if the life that you've been given, you live it contrary to the Word of God, you're living it contrary to the Spirit of God, and that is profane. So one of the things that I want to get away from is the modern notion of spiritual or spirituality. And it's expressed in such things as, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual, which generally means they're idolatrous pagans. It's, it's that, because it has nothing to do with the word of God. It has nothing to do with sacraments. It has nothing to do with the God-given order of how he comes to us, of, has nothing to do with 1 Corinthians 12, verse 3. The second aspect of this that's related is some people in our modern world, and many Christians share this point of view, that spiritual has to do with ethereal, non-corporeal, non-physical. And with that, the notion that the corporeal, the physical world, and also then your physical body is of a lesser order and significance than your quote-unquote spiritual nature. Let's all be 
spiritual. You know, I do get a, a, the only time I see commercials is if it happens to be like a football game and there's something coming on. I, I do rather enjoy that, you know, what, what is that? I don't even know what it's about. It seems like if, where is, well, Jennifer Scheller isn't here today. It seems like if you're into the insurance business, you have to have ridiculous commercials. Yeah. That, what do they have to do with insurance? But you know, they got to, the, the Zen room, you know, hum, 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 how did he miss that field goal? Do you know the, well, anyway. I think it really kind of illustrates the point in the sense that we are tied up in our created world, but that's not a bad thing, and it certainly is not anti-spiritual. So spiritual has nothing to do with dissing the physical, corporeal, created world. To do so takes us back to Gnosticism, okay, uh, the, ancient, the ancient heresy that elevated knowledge over the physical world. It's also docetic, which is another ancient heresy that does the same thing. And as I've reminded you in the past, I remind you again, the incarnation of the Son of God in human flesh proclaims and confesses the importance of the physical world and its spiritual, if you will, underpinnings. So, number two, the Holy Spirit, and this is in quotes, is the Lord and giver of life. That's a phrase from the Nicene Creed, but it is based and anchored in Scripture. The Holy Spirit is the Lord and giver of life at both creation and in regeneration. So, take a peek at John chapter 3. This is Jesus with Nicodemus. John chapter 3, hmm, curious, beginning at verse 5. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So there is a reference to the regeneration. So at creation, it is the Spirit who gave life through Christ, the Son of God, by whom the Father created all things. It is the Spirit who gave life, as Susan had asked that question, to all living things. And it is the Holy Spirit by whom we are regenerated after the fall into sin. It's interesting that the life that continues to exist, even within the rank atheistic pagan, is still the life of God. So in John chapter 1, if you go to that, I know it's common to associate this verse 11, John chapter 1, verse 11, with just the Jews. But that's not the, that's not the context of John's gospel, the first chapter. So when it says, he came to his own, and his own did not receive him, as many as received him, he gave the power to become the children of God, that he came to his own, his own doesn't refer to, in the narrow sense, the Jews. 
but humanity. And that may conflict with some of the things you've heard, but look at the context of this. In John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word. This is chapter 1, verse 1. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He, God the Word, a reference to the eternal Son, was in the beginning with God, namely the Father. All things were made through Him, God the Word, the eternal Son. All things were made through Him. Without Him, nothing was made that was made. That's why I said the Holy Spirit gives life through the Son by whom all things were created by the Father. This is a very Trinitarian shape to the spiritual character of our lives. Now, verse 4 says, In Him, namely God the Son, the divine Logos, was life, L-I-F-E, and the life, L-I-F-E, was the light of men. It's not just referring to the Jews, but it's referring to all humanity. And the light shines in the darkness. The light, who is the life of God in Christ, shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all... Now there, the word all, it's all humanity through him might believe. So John the Baptist's ministry, while certainly it took place historically in a largely Jewish context, is a universal ministry in the call to repentance and faith in Christ for all mankind. He, verse 8, John was not, the, uh, was not that light, namely Christ, the eternal word, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which gives light to, again, every man who comes into the world. So here again, I underscore the context. All humanity receives its life from the Spirit through the Son by whom the Father created all things. So everybody who is an unbeliever is using the very life given to them from God the Father through the Son in the Spirit for profane usages that are disordered and that are contrary to God's design. Verse 10, he, God the Word, was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him and then the verse I had you stop on, he came to his own, and his own did not receive him. Again, the context here, demand, he came to his own, it's talking about all of humanity. Because the referent here is, in the previous verses, all of humanity, and then in what follows, you know, as many as received him, to them he gave the right or authority to become the children of God, even to those who believe in his name. That's everyone, Jew and Gentile, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Now that concept of birth then, being born or begotten of God from above, runs through John chapter 1, 2, and 3 with the ministry of John the baptism, Baptist and the reference to holy baptism. It also connects us to our verse, no one can say Jesus is Lord 
except by the Holy Spirit. So as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And the word, the eternal word of the Father, the eternal Son, became flesh and dwelt among us human beings. And we beheld his glory, the glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So in the second thesis, when we talk about the Holy Spirit is the Lord and giver of life, it is certainly not divorced from the Father and the Son, not by any means, but rather the Spirit is the one who brings life to us, breathes breathes life into us, and then breathes new life into us. Okay? We're begotten of the Spirit. Remember this language when it talks about who were born not of flesh or the will of flesh nor the will of man, but born of God. And we'll see that same sequencing in the incarnation of Jesus when Gabriel comes to Jesus and announces to, comes to Mary, sorry, and announces to Mary that she will be the Son of God. We'll note the three persons of the Holy Trinity at work at the conception of the Son of God just as the three persons of the Trinity by the Holy Spirit are at work in regeneration, the birth or being begotten from above. Okay? Uh, I'm going to take a question just a second. Look at Titus chapter 3. This is the portion quoted by Luther in the small catechism under the question, how can water do such great things? And he quotes Titus. This is the New King James translation, Titus 3, 4 through 7. When the kindness and love of God, our Savior, toward man appeared. Notice how our Savior Jesus is called God here. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration, there's our word, and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he, namely God the Father, poured out on us abundantly or generously, as we say in the Catechism's translation, through Jesus Christ, our Savior. For what purpose? That having been justified by his grace we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So this is a great passage. It's a Trinitarian passage. It's about baptism. But it clearly declares under the second thesis that the Holy Spirit is the Lord and giver of life through the Son sent by the Father. Okay. Um, all right, let me, let me pause there to see if this is um, high theology, but important theology, because it's foundational theology for understanding who we are. And it continues to amplify the concept of being made in the image and likeness of the triune God of love. Any questions or comments, or maybe you might have observed something by the discussion so far? Kent.
What is the relationship of spiritual with our soul? Uh, what is the relationship of spiritual to our soul? The relationship is this. Body and soul are both creations of God, the Holy Spirit. Okay? Um, the soul, sometimes thought of as the essence of the personality that then interfaces with the body. I've mentioned this some, sometimes before. It's our bodies reflect our souls. Let me say that again. Our bodies reflect our souls. And, and that's seen in the very simple terms of smiling and laughing and crying and so forth. You see a window into the soul through the body. It's also, I think you may have noticed, that personality seems to be reflected in the body, the physical appearance. So the personality, the essence of one's uh, conscious self, is uh, what the soul is that the, then is reflected in the body. And that the body also gains access, uh, excuse me, we have access to the soul through the body. Uh, this, is, this is true most especially when we're living prior to death, which most of us are, right? <laughs> I mean, but, but let me explain a little bit further. I have no access to Steve Lesage here apart from preaching the word of God to him, which he receives through the ear and so forth. So, so the access to the soul and then to the heart, which is the seat of faith, so that the body and soul are converted to faith in Christ. My only access to him is through the external word and sacraments and so forth. Now that continues through the day of death, but it's an access to him through the physicality of his ear, ears. Okay? At the time of death, though, uh, it's, it's as, the, as the miracle of the healing of the deaf-mute teaches, while our ordinary access to Steve is through his ears, if he were deaf, like the deaf-mute, unable to hear, unable to speak. He doesn't have the physical equipment required to receive the audible word of the gospel by which the Holy Spirit calls to faith. So then what? Since all things depend upon the word, while ordinarily our access to the personality, to the soul of an individual, is through the body. At the time of death, as body and soul begin to be separating from one another, which is what death is about, it is why it is all incumbent upon ministers and others to speak the word on those occasions for the protection of Steve from spiritual danger and harm. Okay? Because remember, at creation, 
How many ears were present in the creation to receive the word of God? None. None. There were no ears in existence at creation until God created. Now that might seem like a ridiculous thing for me to take you into, but it's extremely important. Because it means that all things depend upon the word. So to the extent that Steve has ears to hear, how did that happen? Was it by his own reason or strength that he sprouted ears on the side of his head? No. So in other words, all things are dependent upon the word, including our created existence, which goes back to Susan's question about spiritual things. We're all spiritual, whether we realize it or not, because we're all created by God through the word and the power of the spirit. So as someone begins to die, part of death is a separation of body and soul. But the word, just as the word is necessary as an instrument of the spirit prior to death throughout a person's life, so the word is essential at the time of death. Okay? And the inability to hear, and I don't know to what extent it's compromised or not when someone's comatose, or the ability to confess Jesus is Lord with the mouth, the, the, the decline of the body physically in no way, or uh, the brain, remember the brain is a physical part of your fleshly being. Your soul interfaces with your brain. What if your brain is shot? Does that mean that there's no access to the soul? Absolutely not. But when brain or ears are shot, the only thing that is left is the word which creates by the spirit all things ex nihilo, out of nothing. Okay? So what I'm arguing for here is the ministry of the Spirit through the Word, and that ministry of the Spirit through the Word is the sole source of the spiritual life, body and soul. Who asked that question? Kent, that was a good question. Anyone who have a follow-up on that? Because Paul has one here, but Jim, let's let you have a follow-up. Uh, St. Peter in 2 Peter chapter 3 follows through with that before he warns about the, the second coming. All things are held together by the word. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Beth, is yours a follow-up on this or should I go to Paul? We'll go to Paul. <clears throat> oh, it's a soul question. Okay, go to Beth. Soul man. Da, da, da. Okay, so I was reading Psalm 139, yeah. and um, it says, For you formed my inward parts. You formed my inward parts. Yeah. Keep, keep going on I'm that. just wondering, whenever I've read that, I always am like, is that God creating our soul at that point? Can you read the rest of it? <clears throat> you covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. 
Yeah, so the forming of our inward parts in our mother's womb includes the totality of our being, body and soul, all right? And the lowest parts of the earth in Psalm 139 is a reference to the mother's womb, okay? All right, so what God did at creation, forming Adam of the dust of the ground, he repeats in the creation of each human being in the lowest parts of the earth in mama's womb. Now I, now where did Paul, oh, Mark, now Paul. <laughs> I saw someone go, I thought you took the microphone and scampered down the hallway. Uh, back to uh, John 1. Uh, Verse uh, 10, the world did not know him. And then back uh, to verse 5, the darkness did not uh, comprehend it. Uh, my old English teacher to decide or to object to personification. Uh, should I think uh, that darkness in the one verse and uh, uh, the uh, world and the other one are synonymous? Are they the same thing? Well, um, no, not exactly. Okay. Then what are they? <laughs> okay. Darkness is a reference to human sin. And characteristic of human sin is unbelief, rebellion against God. Okay. The world is subjected to the curse of the fall, God's cursing of the creation, on account of man's sin, his rebellion and unbelief. That's why the world is shrouded in darkness. Not because the world in and of itself is intrinsically evil, but that the world has both been, A, corrupted by human sin, we can see it all around us, and be subject to the curse of the fall. I follow you. Okay? Yes. Good. Other uh, questions? Jim over here. I keep, I keep thinking a hand is up over there, and it's the, it's the Kleenex on top of the piano, and I catch it out of the side of my eye. And, okay, Jim? Maybe this sounds trivia, trivial, but and I don't want to get too sidetracked on this point, but does our view as Christians of the body and the soul inform us as to correct burial practices and the, the modern-day interest in, in burning bodies? In, in, uh, I think it does, and, and uh, I can plan to talk about it a little bit later in the thesis, but absolutely, remember, we confess in the creed that the Son of God was conceived, born, suffered, died, and was buried. And the care with which Jesus, uh, the care with which they attended to Jesus' body at the time of his death reflects a long biblical historic tradition of reverence for the body. And the traditions of French frying the body into a cinder do not have their origin in Christianity or in the Old Testament church whatsoever. Abraham had a cemetery. And Jacob insisted, take my body back to that cemetery. 
Joseph's body at the end of the 430 years was transported back to that cemetery. And what does it do? It confessed the goodness of our fleshly existence. One, and two, the blessed certainty and hope of the resurrection. Okay? Jim? Yeah, they were very careful to that, make sure they had the burial grounds. That's right. So these are not, the, the Bible is not interested in um, anything that isn't important. We may not always understand, but it's, it's always interested in important things. Okay. All right. This leads us then into Thesis 3. Spiritual does not mean ethereal, non-corporeal or non-physical. Now that's there's a certain intended redundancy there. Uh, the first article of the Creed and its explanation, and we could look up a lot of passages, but I just like you to relish the words of Luther. There is more, there's more profound, uh, what do you want to say, goodness in those words and wisdom in those words than we might first realize. I believe that God has made me, this is under the first article, He's made me and all creatures. All creatures. Including whatever it was in my extra garage that caused things to fall off of the shelf when I opened the door. <laughs> and then didn't make a sound after that. He has made me and all creatures. He's given me, what's the first thing? My body and soul. Now there's... There's the essence of the, the body and the soul. And that includes then, you'll see it extrapolated out in what follows. Body and soul, eyes, ears, and all my members, my reason, and all my senses, and still takes care of them. So the concept of reason also takes in the concept of personality. Okay? And all my senses... You know, what are the five senses? You can name them off. And then it says, and still takes care of them. That's the continuous creation. See, we are not like the founding fathers, many of whom, like Thomas Jefferson, were, what were they? Deists. Deists. Thomas Jefferson, you know, he had the Tahiti God theology. God got things created, and then he went off to Tahiti. And then things just simply run by natural law or what have you. And that God is not personally involved. This still takes care of them. This is the wonder of it. That, that God is personally involved in Nate's life. Every moment of every day, whether he wakes or sleeps, and that also of Jenny. Think about that. In this world in which people feel horribly alone, disenfranchised, outside of meaningful communion, people in your lives might forsake you, abandon you, reject you, not provide you with what God intends for them to provide you with, like a husband who loves and supports his wife, or a father who cares for and protects his family, 
and sacrifices himself for his children and for his wife, or good friends, you might have in those relationships, everybody lets you down, but not this relationship. He's giving me my body, soul, eyes, ears, and all my members, my reason, all my senses, and still takes care of them. He also gives me clothing and shoes, food and drink, house and home, wife and children, land, animals, and all I have. He richly and daily provides me with all that I need to support this body and life. He defends me against all danger. We have no idea the amount of danger that is averted from our lives without our knowledge. It's an article of faith. He defends me against all danger. Instead, when one thing happens, oh, the sky is falling. God has abandoned me. Man, every breath that you take is a gift of God's grace from Christ and is sustained by the Spirit of God. That's what I mean by spiritually. Defends me against all danger, guards and protects me from all evil. And all this he does only out of fatherly divine goodness and mercy without any merit or worthiness in me. Okay? Which again, going back to creation, how many ears were there at the beginning of creation to hear the word by whom all things were created? Not a one. But by the word, all things were created. And then after that, he decided to create ears. By the way, Paul, when it comes to light, okay, God created light before the sun and the moon and the stars. I don't need, if I may speak as if I were God, you know, I don't need the sun and the moon and the stars. But I like them. And I'm going to create them for signs and seasons, for days and years and so forth. And that's how what happens in our life. How does he, God didn't provide me with my food. Oh, shut up. <laughs> if he didn't create with two arms and two legs and a brain between your thick skull and give you abilities and an education that your mama and daddy's got after you for learning, you wouldn't be able to wipe your tiny. So... What God does is the same thing that a good parent does. He, like a good parent, wants to teach us so that we can do as they do. That's why I say, talking about making, being made in the image and likeness of God, to be like God is, to do like God does. And that's what makes parents full of joy and pride over against their children when they do like mom and dad do the good stuff. You know, and when they are like mom and dad, and when they do like they do. And so we, we rejoice to see our children doing that stuff. Okay? And if you're, as a, as a parent, are doing everything for your child, stop doing that. Teach them and let them work and then let them fall on their face and fail. And then you're there to help them up again and to send them on the way. God creates all things and he provides for us and we come alongside of him. That's pro what procreation means. And all of those ordinary spiritual things, all of those ordinary things of creation under the first article explanation are indeed spiritual things. Okay. All right. Questions or comments?
number four. The Word of God defines and orders the spiritual nature of the body to give and receive life and love. The Word of God defines and orders the spiritual nature of the body to give and receive life and love. And that's what you have in Genesis chapters 1 and 2. Let us make man in our image after our likeness, verse 26 and following of chapter 1. So in the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them, and God said, be fruitful and multiply. And then he formed man of the dust of the ground, chapter 2, verse 7, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, but it was not good that the man should be alone. The creation of woe man, woman, out of his side was not an afterthought, but rather part of God's order from the beginning because we're made male and female in the image and likeness of God to do what? To be fruitful and multiply and to have dominion, which is what God is and what God does. So I will make a helper fit for him. And in the Hebrew there, this verb has the connotation of, uh, shall we say, geometry, of physicality, where the man and the woman fit together, quite literally, for the procreation of children, the giving and the receiving of love. And that giving and receiving of love is a wonderful biological thing and not just some ethereal love, okay? It has actual physical manifestation in how we are made and how we are created. And as we said, have said it numerous times over the last year or so, to disconnect the intimate physical communion between a man and a woman who are husband and wife from the principle giving and receiving of love and life in the one flesh union that results in children is a profane disconnect. Okay? Because it then, and more of this in a future study, but it makes of the physical act that results in children entirely self-centered and self-gratifying as opposed to self-giving as a reflection of who God is in his nature. All right. So we've been through, and in Didache, we go through Genesis 1 and 2 quite a bit. But I'll take us into number 5 again. So oh, uh, in, in, chapter, in Thesis 4, the word of God defines and orders. We see that in Genesis 1. God said, and it was so, and God called, and God named, and it was good. So there's the word as the source of creation, and then also the word which orders. All right, uh, Susan had her hand up back there. Help me with the spiritual nature of the body, just so I make sure I'm understanding what you're saying. Spiritual nature of the body would mean the way the body, body well, no, is according to the Holy Spirit's... In our right. physicality. Every aspect of our physicality is spiritual right. because there is no existence apart from the Word and Spirit of God. Every aspect is spiritual. It's, in other words, it's not as if spiritual is added 
to the physicality, to the fleshly existence. It's not as if it is added. Okay? So, this means the most mundane thing of our lives is a spiritual activity. Now, here's the caveat. When it is done according to the word of God. Okay? And this is what's coming next here. So, the word of God is what makes our lives holy or what set us, sanctifies us, sets us apart. Okay? So, my giving and receiving in the physical oneness of a relationship with my wife is holy. And the activities associated with it are holy. Because all things are sanctified, the Apostle James says, by the word of God and prayer. However, not all things are sanctified by the word of God and prayer. So if a husband goes to a harlot and then says, excuse me, before we get started, can we have a bit of word of God and prayer so that this is sanctified? You can't do that. Now, it, it sounds absurd to say, but you can't do that because while the activity in and of itself is not sinful, the context of the activity, if it's done apart from the word of God, is. You follow? And that's something that Christians have lost and his, his eminence uh, in Italy has lost that connection. His ex-cathedra pronouncements cannot overturn the ordination of God's word about our human existence. Sorry, you can't do it. A cat is a cat. It ain't a dog, and it doesn't matter if the Pope says the cat is a dog. And you can go on from that to our other partners. Okay, so the concept of holiness or a holy life is that person whose body and life is lived in and ordered by the word of God. So you've got third commandment. We should fear and love God so that we do not despise preaching and his word, but hold it sacred and gladly hear and learn it, except when it disagrees with what my sinful flesh wants. No, that's not, that's not true. Look at Psalm 1. I love this psalm for a number of reasons. First of all, as the first psalm, it talks about the blessed man. And as all psalms are about the blessed man, namely Christ, it is first about him. The eternal word of the Father who became the blessed man for us in the incarnation. But secondly, it is also about us insofar as we receive him, live by faith in him. Okay? So on All Saints Day, we talked about the blessedness and the beatitudes. You know, is it about, is that blessedness about Jesus or is it about his body, the church? Yes. Okay? Because there's this mystical union wherein we are joined to him. All right, now remember, we're talking about the concept of holiness and a holy life. That person whose body and life is lived in and ordered by the word of God. 
Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Those would be those who are skeptics, who scorn God's word, who scorn God's design, who scorn the ordering of life. Do we have any of that going on in the world today? But his delight is in public opinion polls. No, his delight is in the law of the Lord, which is not just the commandments, but the totality of God's word. And in his law, same word here, he meditates day and night. See, what the thesis says about lived in and ordered by the word of God. He shall be like a tree planted by rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. So the tree planted by the water draws from the water the water that gives and sustains life. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. And of course, chaff is the waterless, dried-up leftovers without the spirit, without life in it. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. So here you see it extends from Christ, that blessedness, to us who believe in him and who are sanctified by the word of God. Now we'll pick it up here with um, Thesis 5 again because I have a couple of New Testament passages I'd like to look at, uh, particularly from Ephesians and Colossians, but also 1 Peter where he says, sanctify the Lord in your heart and be prepared to give an answer or reason for the hope that lies within you with meekness and fear. All right, so the body is spiritual. We'll finish up on this part next week. And then following that, the problem of sin and its disordered and destructive impact on family life and marriage. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all.